Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We have been uh, spending our time in Ephesians chapter 1. And before I get to that, I want to, um, I need to move this, uh, this table up just a bit here. Get it a little more up front. Problem is, is we got this uh, little cup here. And uh, it's tiny. And so what I want to do is get a little closer to you so you can actually see it. And uh, so uh, this is, uh, dads, this is your Father's Day gift. And uh, even though it says man of God on there in tiny words, we want to make sure that you know that we expect you to be a big man of God <laughs> and that you have a big God. Um, so Doug and I were online looking at uh, mugs. And we said, hey, that'd be a great thing. Like, right, you're drinking a mug. And we put this great passage on there, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. How can we challenge dads? You know, and so we said, oh, that's a great challenge. So here, listen to what it says. It's a small mug. And so what it says is that, uh, it says starting in verse 16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Dads, the, the greatest thing we can do is be equipped by scripture to do the good work that he has for us to, in raising our children, to do the be equipped to do the good work of teaching them right and wrong, teaching them what is the next right step from God and, and what he wants for our lives. And so we wanted to give you this reminder. The only thing we should have done is we should have had one of the women in our lives help us to buy it. Um, <laughs> because it, it is definitely for espresso. It is for, I tried to drink it, and instead of having one pinker flipped up, I have like three because I can't fit more in there. So, but the bottom line is it's a nice cup, and whether you use it for pens on your desk or you actually drink coffee out of it, it is yours. And we wanted to remind you that uh, being a man of God is the greatest call you have. And share that with your kids. Share scripture with your kids. Teach them. And that will be the great call of your life, and that will be the best way you can prepare to be the husband and the father that God has for you to be. And for many of us in this room, or I shouldn't say us, I'm not there yet, but grandfather, whatever that would be, okay? So, in Ephesians 1, which we started in last week, we started looking at verses, really, 3 through 14. And I'm just going to open up by starting to read the verses we looked at last week, and then we'll continue on this week. It says, praise be, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to God and to praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely which he has freely given to us and the one he loves. And that's where we stop. And so what we had said is that he had chosen us. We looked at that and we said he had chosen us. He had adopted us. And the reason why we started talking about those issues as we work through here is we go back up to verse 3 and it says, Praise be to God the Father. And so the very first thing we said last week was that we live, we exist to praise and give glory to God. 
that our lives have so many blessings, because then he goes on to say, who has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. We have been blessed over and over and over again in our lives by God, the God who loves us, the God who lavishes his love upon us. And in that great lavishing of his love, we are to live our lives to the praise and glory of him. That that is what we do. That is how we live. And so we hang on to that great hope as we go through life. But what are these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms? Well, Paul unpacks them in these 14 verses. And we looked at the very first one saying you were chosen. That God specifically chose you. And what difference does that make? He wanted you. The God of the universe wants you. But he just doesn't choose you. He says, then I adopt you. And I bring you into the full family. That you receive your full inheritance upon my adoption. You're not waiting for your inheritance. You're not waiting for some other blessing. I bless you fully and completely. You have all the rights and privileges of a full-fledged son or daughter, even though you did nothing to deserve to be in that family, that Christ did everything to bring you in to cause you to have those blessings. And then that leads us to where we are today. But we asked that question also last week of why did he chose us? Why did he adopt us? Why did he bless us? Because it was his pleasure and will to do it. That's the thing that we can't miss. He wasn't forced to do it. It was his pleasure and it was his will to choose us and to adopt us. He was excited to do it. He had this great desire and great passion to do just that. And for what reason? That we would be holy and blameless. That we would be a people that are chosen by him, adopted by him, brought into his family, given every spiritual blessing, lavished with his love. For what reason? To be holy and blameless. And that before God, we'd be holy and blameless through the blood of Christ. And that we would live this holy and blameless life, a holy life set apart to praise and glorify him. That every step of our life would point to him and glorify him and give praise to him. Why? So that others would experience the same thing. So that others would know that they were chosen. So others would be adopted. So others would experience the great peace and joy and hope that comes from knowing Christ. That our lives would move from being dead and meaningless to having incredible purpose. Incredible purpose. Because we are worthy. Because Christ chose us and adopted us, made us worthy, and said, be about living holy and blameless lives to the praise and glory of me. Now let's continue. In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All things would be under his authority. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ, meaning the Jews, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included, that is the Gentiles, in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of 
his glory. Notice how it ends right back there. To the praise of his glory. Why do we live? For the praise of his glory. We often ask that question, don't we? What is, what is the reason we exist? What is our purpose? Why are we here? And that question is asked in all sorts of circles. It's, it's, a, it's a part of all sorts of research and all sorts of polls. What do people say? And we try to find if there is a link to, the, to that answer and the way people live their lives, uh, how they have, uh, whether they experience depression or sicknesses or anything else. Is there a link between purpose, existence, and their answers. And there's always a link. There's always a link. Listen to this for a second and tell me what kind of life this leads to. You ready? It says over in, the, in a poll that was done a few years ago, over 60% of Americans said the reason for their existence, enjoyment and personal fulfillment. You ever had a day that wasn't too joyful? You ever had a day that wasn't too happy? You have a day that you didn't feel personally fulfilled? Well, then what are you going to do with that day? What are you going to do with your existence then? Well, what are you, how are you going to answer that question when that starts to happen day after day or week after week or, or month after month or year after year? How do you answer that question, the reason why you're here, the purpose of your life? What do you do with that? If the only reason we live, if 60% of all Americans said, the reason I live, the reason I exist, is for personal fulfillment and enjoyment. Now, as Christians, Christ followers, ones who live in Christ, the ones who follow Scripture, the the, the ones who have been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, we would have a different answer. The problem is in this poll, we didn't have a different answer. In this poll, over 50% of all Christians, all those who are Christ ones, had this to say. The reason for their existence is life's enjoyment and self-satisfaction. Life's enjoyment and self-satisfaction. For those who follow the word of God, that is contrary to the word of God. That answer is absolutely contrary. We live to the praise and glory of God, not to the praise and glory of ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be happy moments. That doesn't mean there's not going to be exciting moments. That doesn't mean that we are not going to have a life that is fulfilled. Remember, Jesus said that he came to give life and give it abundantly. There would be incredible purpose in our life because it's not just in this moment. We have purpose for eternity. But so many Christians are still living for self-fulfillment, self-gratification, and for the happiness of the moment based upon their feelings. And Paul here is saying, we exist and live for a different reason. We exist and live for a different reason. So let's get back to the passage. He continues in verse 7 where he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Matthew 20, 28 speaks of the same thing. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, which would be self-gratification, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. Here it comes now from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This language of redemption, it comes from a a, a vision of slavery. It comes from when people were sold into slavery or taken into captive into slavery, and there had to be 
a redemption for them. There was a ransom that was offered for them. The only way they could ever find freedom from their captives or from their slave owners was to be bought and granted freedom. Now, sometimes they were bought by the the blood of people through a war and the change of laws. Sometimes that's what happened, like in our country. But most of the time, it would happen by a ransom being paid by a family or the release of a debt or whatever it would happen to be. And that's how they would gain their freedom. Well, we were also dead and enslaved. We were enslaved to a dead way of living. We were enslaved to a lifeless way of living. We were enslaved to running after our own passions, our own desires. We were enslaved to making our own rules, our own boundaries. We were enslaved to determining our own future and deciding if it was worthwhile or not. We were enslaved to everything that was not God, and we abandoned everything that was God. And the moment we abandoned that which God said was right and true and accurate, we stepped into death, and that was what we were bound and chained to. Everything of God is life. Everything of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is life. And to walk in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is to walk in life, is to have freedom in life. But instead, we were bound in slavery to sin and the selfish, prideful desires of our own hearts. It would keep us separate from the Father who desired to lavish His love upon us. Everything we see in Scripture pointed towards Jesus. Everything that was put into place was a prototype of what Jesus would be. Everything that happened was telling us that we would, there would be a need for something greater. So because of our sin, there was a penalty put upon us, right? And that required death. And so there would be the sacrifice of animals and lambs, a death in the place of ours because we sinned. We walked in death instead of walking in life. The only problem is, is the moment I sinned again, the moment I turned my back on God again, there would need to be another sacrifice and another sacrifice. There would be a need to be another ransom for my life until Jesus. And Jesus, because he was eternal, he was holy God, he was absolutely perfect and lived an absolute perfect life, well, his ransom was perfect. His ransom was unending. His ransom was continuous. And his blood that he poured out on our behalf was the most costly ransom ever paid. It cost the life of God. And for what reason? Because he loved us. Because he chose us. Because he wanted to adopt us. Because he wanted to set us free from the bondage of sin and a life that was lived without hope and without purpose and without joy and without peace. Wanted to set us free from a life that was lived at war with God instead of at peace with God. And it was his great love that desired to do just that. Let me put this into a, a term like this. Let me try to bring this together for a second. A little boy had a piece of wood and he worked really hard on creating this toy boat, this yacht. And he went down to the, to the pond that would you know, be, be, be filled up by a, a small stream and that would then also rush into a 
a river. And as he, as his little boat caught the current one day, it ran out to a, a deeper river, further away from shore, and suddenly it was gone. This boy had spent all sorts of time developing this boat, creating this boat, painting this boat, racing this boat against his friends. He had spent so much time with it, but now it was gone. He went home and told his parents and cried a little bit, and his mom and dad said, it'll be all right. You'll make a new boat in your life. He said, I want that boat. And as he's walking down the street, he passes a toy store, and it was one of those consignment stores, and he passed it, and there was his boat. So that's my boat. And so he goes in, he goes, hey, mister, that's my boat. And he goes, no, it's my boat. I just bought it. Now I'm selling it. He said, no, 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 it's my boat. I built it. I can even show you the nicks and the dings, and I can tell you where. He said, it's my boat. You want this boat? <laughs> you must purchase this boat. And so he went home, and he, 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 you know, he broke his piggy bank, and he asked mom and dad for money, and he mowed a couple lawns, and he, you know, he, he sold lemonade, did whatever he could to make some money. And he goes back, and he buys the boat. That's a real, that's a real cute story, right? He got his boat back. And he went and bought it back, and he said this. Looking at the boat, he said, you're twice mine. As he looked thankfully and proudly, he said, I made you, and now I've purchased you. That's what Christ did. He made us to be in relationship with him. He made us to live a life of great purpose with him. He made us to know the fullness of his love and his relationship. He made us that way. And we went astray. We got lost on this journey. And so he took it upon himself to cast his own blood on our behalf to purchase us back. What does that mean at 6 a.m. in the morning? It means everything. It means you are valuable enough to the King of Kings, the God of the universe, that he would purchase you back. It means you are no longer a slave to the evil desires that lurk within us. You are no longer a slave to living a life that hurts people or runs over people or ignores people or having a purposeless life. You are no longer a slave to that. You are instead a child of the living God who did everything to purchase you. And what do we do in return? We lavish our love upon him. We live in obedience to him. We say, yes, I want to be a holy people set apart For you, show me how to live this life with incredible purpose. That every step that I take now has ridiculous meaning. And I want you to show me what that meaning is. We are forgiven. It would be good enough for him just to purchase us back. But he didn't just purchase us back. He forgave us. He forgave us from walking away. He forgave us from what our sins are today. And he forgives us for what our sins are tomorrow. Listen to what it says at the end of chapter, at the end of verse 7. For, he, for, he forg- for, for the forgiveness of sins, which is why he was ransomed, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. This idea of the richness of God's grace being lavished, it means the abundance of his grace, the whole of his grace. It means an unending act of forgiveness. What have you done in the past that has been against God? It was forgiven. 
What did you do today that was against God? It is forgiven. What is coming up in your future that you, it is forgiven? You never again, now we will because it's the right thing to do in a relationship, but you never again have to go to God and say, Lord, forgive me for you have been forgiven. For his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness covers all of our sins, covers the whole of our life from before Christ until the death in this land, right? It covers it all. That brings incredible freedom and knowledge. You never again have to live thinking, will God forgive this? Can he really use me because of what I've done? Can he use me even though I I said this and did this? Can he still, will he still work in my life because I did this or did that? Will he still restore relationships? Will he still use me because I am this type of person and I did this or I, you know, I've been trying to live well and right and holy and blameless, but today I did this? Those words and those thoughts never again have to enter your mind or your mouth. For the richness of God's grace has been lavished upon you. He has forgiven everything, past, present, and future. Will we go to him and ask forgiveness? Yes. Why? Because that's the right thing to do in a relationship. When I have been offensive, when I have failed, I go to somebody and say, please forgive me. I go to God and say, I have not walked well with you. I have sinned against you. I have walked my own way. And he says, what? You're forgiven. Because you have always been forgiven. And now our relationship is moving forward again. So our relationship, our our communication can be stalled. Our, our, Our relationship can get hampered, meaning that we aren't walking with him. But from his side, our relationship is secure. From his side, our sins are forgiven before they ever are accounted for. On his side, we stand before him holy and blameless. Why? Because of the work that Christ did on the cross. Listen to this phrase real quick. Satan will always draw you away from the cross, but the Holy Spirit will always draw you to the cross. Satan will always draw you away from the cross. Those guilty feelings, those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings that God can't love me because of this or God can't use me because of that, That is Satan. That is the enemy that is drawing you away from the richness, grace of the cross. The Holy Spirit is doing the opposite. You've often heard it said in here or other places you've worshipped that, right, there's no condemnation because that's from Scripture, that guilt is not from the Holy Spirit because it's absolutely true. Guilt doesn't come from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit draws us to the cross where there is freedom and forgiveness for what we've done great power to walk in that forgiveness. In verses 8 through 10, we find that with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things under heaven and under earth. So what do we praise him for, these blessings? Well, one of the next blessings is that he shares his will and his plans with us. He is a God that directs us. He is a God that guides our steps. He is a God that reveals that which is right and that which is wrong. He is a God that reveals his plans and his will to us. Do we access that? Do we access that? Do we say, Lord, I want to know your plans. I believe because you have chosen me and adopted me and redeemed me and forgiven me that you want to declare the next right step in my life. 
that you want to guide me and you don't want to keep it a mystery? And even if I feel like I don't know what that great next step is right now, that at just the right time, like you did with our salvation, at just the right moment, you will reveal everything I need to know to take that next right step of obedience, to be the the son, to be the daughter that you want me to be, to be the husband, to be the wife that you want me to be. Do you believe that? Because it has been given to you. Not only did he reveal his good will and purpose in how he was going to bring salvation about, but every day he reveals his good will and purpose. You are a child of God that he says, I have something created just for you. I have that which I want you to do today. To live in praise and glory to him, that our steps would point others towards him, that a life living holy and blameless would bless the people around us, and all people would praise God because of the praise on our lips as he guides and directs each step. You are never living in the dark. In Christ, you live in the light. Do you feel like you walk through life sometimes in the dark? I don't know what the next right thing to do is. I don't know what that looks like. Go to the Father because he is ready to declare it to you. And finally, we are secure. In him, we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with his purpose and will. So we just talked about. In order that we who were first should put our hope in Christ, that would be the Jews, to what reason? The praise and glory of God. And that you also were included when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, some would have said during that time, only the Jews could receive this salvation and not the Gentiles. And Paul is making sure that we understand that it is salvation is for all people, for those that are chosen by God, for those that are adopted, for those that are forgiven, for those that are redeemed, for those that can know his will and understand it. All people are chosen to be in him, right? All people can be accepted into his grace. He died and did all of that, whether it was Jew, whether it was Gentile, whether it was Greek, whether it was Roman, whether it was slave, whether it was free, whether it was male, or whether it was female. He did it for every person, every one of us. He made that available so that there was no one that could come against them. There was no one that could bring heresy into their life. There was no one that could continue to say as they were saying, well, hey, Gentile, you don't have access to God. And he's saying, no, the very blood of Christ covers all of that and now makes us one new people under Christ, unified in him. And then this is what it said. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guarantee our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. All throughout Scripture, we see different ways that his people have been marked and set aside for him. We see that they were marked through circumcision in the Old Testament. That would be the physical acknowledgement of who his people are. That would be the physical mark on their body that these were God's people. These were Yahweh's people set aside for him. And to many it would, shake, it would shake fear in their lives as the circumcised men would show up to battle and they would say, oh, hey, whoa, that's, that's Yahweh's. Those are Yahweh's people. And in fact, they wouldn't even use the name Yahweh. They would say, that's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's their people, a set-apart people because they were marked physically. We're still circumcised. That's still a mark of our salvation under the new covenant, but it's the circumcision of our, of our heart 
where that old nature, that sinful nature, the thing that we were bound to is cut out and instead we're set free and given our new nature in Christ, which is amazing. And then we find this, the, the other mark in the New Testament, we find that to be baptism. That there would be a physical mark on us from baptism where we would have a public display of being buried with Christ and then risen with Christ in, his bapt, in baptism. Where we would say, I have the mark of Christ in my life and on my life. I am a Christ follower. But Paul also alludes to another mark. It was just a mark of culture. It was just a mark of the times. It would be the, the, the mark of a, of a piece of wax and an insignia that was levied into that piece of wax. Whenever a a package was sent during that time in that era, or a letter was sent. It wasn't enough just to have the, the word, your name on there, because maybe somebody else could have wrote your name on it. It was before registered mail and, and, and all of that type of stuff, obviously. And so what would happen is that there would be this seal put on the letter. And number one, it wasn't to be opened until it got to its place. No one is going to open back up our hearts until we get to eternity because our hearts are secure and sealed for all of eternity. They are God's. Nobody else can have access to them. Satan has no authority in our hearts. They are sealed by the Holy Spirit, by the seal of God. But it is also to inform them of the power of the person. Could have had a seal from my family, which wouldn't carry much power. But if that seal came from the house of Caesar, it carried a lot of power. And that seal, which only would be have by would be, would be uh, put on there by a particular family by a particular person, when that letter would show up, and that seal was on it, they knew the authority that it came with. Your life in Christ has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your life in Christ has the uniqueness of the God of the universe written on it. It took His blood to cover you and forgive you completely. Not as a one time, like a lamb, but as the holy God to redeem you and pull you out of a life where your seal was on your life. But instead, he seals you now with the Holy Spirit. You ever ask that question, am I really saved? Am I, am I really a, a daughter or a son of the king? Am I really going to go to heaven? That seal that he gives us is the seal of the Holy Spirit actually living within us, making sense of the word of God, guiding us and directing us with each step. It's not, you say, I've never heard from God. Yes, you have. If you are a follower of Christ, the spirit has talked to you. The spirit has led you. The spirit has guided you. You often refer to him as your conscience. You often refer to him as your, as your, you know, as your, uh, your inner voice. But when that voice aligns with Scripture, when that voice is seeking righteousness and holiness, in and of ourselves, we cannot seek holiness and righteousness. Think about it. I'm going to be concerned for myself far before I'm going to be concerned for anyone else. I'm going to help other people as long as there's a benefit to me. How often do you hear from people, why is it that you help other people? Well, I feel really good. Well, that's nice. I'm glad you feel really good. So the moment that you don't feel really good, you're going to stop helping people. You see, Good things come from us because of what's been deposited in us, which is the Holy Spirit. And throughout our lives walking with Christ, we're constantly reminded by the Holy Spirit that we are his. You are his. 
And nobody can take you from him. Nobody can take you from him. You have been sealed. And for somebody, something, some tragedy, some issue, some sin in your life that seeks to pull you out of a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit rears up and said, This one's mine! And you can't have them. They live in forgiveness. And I will direct their steps back to righteousness and holiness. For they are mine. Eric, come on up. And why has he given us all of this assurance? Why has he done all of this? Why? Why did he choose us? I'm not worthy to be chosen by the living God. I can tell you that. Why did he adopt us? I'm a terrible son of the king. Why did he redeem us? I'm not worthy of your blood, let alone the God of the universe. Why did he forgive me so that I could just go ahead and sin again? Why? Because it came out of his great love that he wanted to lavish upon us. It came so that we would live in praise of him. It came so that we would have hope and peace and purpose in our lives. It came so that every moment of our lives would live in glory to Him. They would point to Him so that others would know Him. So that others would know that they were chosen. Others would know that they could too be adopted. Others would know. And so church, our goal, our existence is to praise the Lord, to give Him glory, to have an assurance every day when that alarm goes off of whose you are and who secures you. That it is not by your works, but by the work of God and everything he did to secure you. So the question remains, do we live that way? Do we praise God with our lives? Do we want every thought and every moment to point back to his glory? Do we want the world to know that I am his? How are you going to live your life? Paul's saying, we don't exist for self-gratification. We don't exist for self-fulfillment. We exist to glorify God. And may that be the song of our hearts. May that be the cry of our voice.